If you are just getting started with the NGSS and 3D teaching, I want to invite you to check out Bring Wonder Back, an on-demand video series designed to help you understand why moving through the textbook and teaching topics is actually crushing your students' curiosity and what you can do instead. It's going to help you shift the work of learning where it belongs by building your understanding of explorations and discovery-based teaching practices. And finally, I'm going to help you take the first steps toward transforming your students into scientists through 3D learning, which is really what the NGS is all about. You can access this video series at iExploreScience/wonder and get ready to bring wonder engagement and a love for learning back to your science class. All right, to the show. Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. Uh, vocabulary. So what is its role in the NGSS classroom and how do we go about teaching it? So before we dive into that, though, we're going to take a look at how we've been teaching vocabulary. So if your schools were anything like mine, and I mean, from my own experience in middle and high school, all the way through student teaching and then teaching in my own the first few years, science vocabulary was pretty much taught at the beginning of a unit. And I've, re I've heard this referred to as front loading. And the idea is basically teach kids all of the definitions they'll need to know for the unit so that students will understand them when they see them in the text or during a lecture or a lab or activity or whatever. So the problem here is twofold. First, half the time students don't memorize them anyway, so it's pretty much just time wasted. And second, sometimes students memorize the definition without ever truly understanding the meaning. So that's pretty much the worst possible outcome. And the reason for that is because the students appear to understand without actually understanding. So they think they understand, you think they understand, and everybody just like goes on with their lives never understanding. Now, along those lines, Vocabulary was also typically taught by looking up definitions or reading texts. So sometimes students put the definitions into their own words, um, although honestly, rarely those words differ drastically from the text. Like, have you ever looked at a definition, tried to put it in your own words, and pretty much just kept it the same? Um, and maybe like you had students add an example. Again, typically this was pulled from the text or from like a dictionary or a web search. So again, Nobody's really sure what they really understand, and most often students are just going to forget the meaning within a day or two anyway because they haven't really absorbed it. And then lastly, all of the activities that followed were pretty much um, geared toward memorizing the vocabulary. So flashcards, interactive notebook flaps, writing sentences, doing fair models, so on and so forth. And none of these are like bad strategies. Um, but used in this way, they're not really supporting learning. So they're definitely not bad and you might use them um, perfectly well in an NGSS classroom. They're just not supporting learning when they are used to front load vocabulary. Oh, and then when assessment time came, it was always just like matching your multiple choice, um, quiz or an exam, and students are just identifying which word went with which definition. So again, you're either going to have students who totally guess because they have no idea or you have those who've memorized the terms, and again, they might not truly understand the concept behind the term, and neither of those options um, are ideal. So that was my experience, 
And my first year or two, I confess that's absolutely how I taught vocabulary. So now that we all know that I also fell into this trap, let's agree that we need to stop doing it. We need to stop front-loading our vocabulary. It's not helping our students, not any of them. It's not helping the ESL students, the ELLs. It's not your students with IEPs. Honestly, very, I mean, nobody benefits from front-loading vocabulary in a science classroom. And that's the difference. So I know, I know, you're going to say like your IEP says you have to, or that was recommended by this literacy coach, or that literacy program, or your district says you have to. And again, you have to do, you know, what you have to do. So I acknowledge that. Um, but that said, front-loading vocabulary in science is different than front-loading vocabulary in maybe another discipline. So front-loading vocabulary, when students already understand the concept, could be valuable. For example, students know what it means to feel heartbroken. So maybe you teach them the term devastated before they see it in a text, and that helps them because then they know what devastated means. They've really just learned a new term for an old meaning. But here's the difference in science. Most of the time, you're teaching the concept in addition to the term. And that's why front-loading doesn't work. They can't truly understand the term and its definition until they understand the concept that the term is referring to. So front-loading your vocabulary in your NGSS science classroom is, and I admit I'm a little bit hesitant to say this flat out, but honestly, it's just a waste of time. Now, if I haven't already convinced you yet, just hear me out. We all learn by integrating new information into what we already currently know or believe. And I think it's something called like schema theory or something like that. But we do this from the get-go. Young children learn what a ball is. They then learn the word ball, and then they understand when it's being referenced. Like you can tell a one-year-old to go get the ball, and they'll bring it to you, even though they can't use that language themselves yet. But they have an idea of what a ball is. Now along those lines, when they see new things that are ball-shaped, they often say ball. My son called street lamps balls for the longest time because they were round like balls. He understood that the street lamp he understood what the street lamp was through his understanding of a ball. Obviously, they're not alike, but that's what he thought the street lamp was. He thought it was a ball. Now, eventually, kids learn new concepts, and then they eventually apply their new language and their new understanding to those new concepts. So today, he doesn't think, well, sometimes he does think that they're still balls. But if they were to light up, he would then connect it to the word light. Okay, so anyway, they learn the concept first. It's the same way in language instruction. Now, I'm definitely no expert here, but I do remember my Spanish teacher once told us not to think about new span, like not to think about new vocabulary as um, like red is roja, but rather think of the color itself and then the Spanish word that's associated with it. Now, our so our goal basically was not to think in English and then translate into Spanish, but rather think of the meaning and then come up with the Spanish for that meaning. Um, and also, please pardon my very poor Spanish. So how does that relate to science? Well, our students need to know and understand the meaning before we can give them the term. So just like we need to know red before we can learn roja, and again, pardon the Spanish, uh, they need to know the concept before they can learn the term. So no more front-loading. Um, that said, if you're still on board, Let's leave behind that old practice and take a look at what we should be doing instead. And that is using our explore and explain approach to teach vocabulary. 
Okay, so first of all, we really have to know what we're teaching. Now, as I mentioned before, when we're teaching vocabulary and science, we're most often not just teaching new words, but we're also teaching meanings or ideas or concepts. We aren't teaching synonyms to broaden their vocabulary. We're teaching entirely new ways of understanding something. So we need to think about vocabulary differently. It's not just a word and a definition. It's a word, like a definition, and a concept. And in an NGSS classroom, the concept comes first. We have to teach the concepts behind the terms first, and we do this through our exploration. Now, the NGSS is all about exploring phenomena by applying the science and engineering practices. You know this. We've been through this. Um, the, this is just old news for you who completed the NGSS for Science class course in the Science Teacher Tribe course in Community. So if you haven't completed the course yet, you should go get on that. Um, but when we're talking about vocabulary, this is our first step. So first, you have to help students figure out the concept. And we're going to look at a really basic example first. So, mutualism or interactions in ecosystems. Now, mutualism is an, is an ecological interaction between two or more species in which both of those species benefits. If we were front-loading our vocabulary, we would give students the term and the definition and maybe an example, and then we would move on and then do, you know, activities to memorize. If we're doing a little bit better than that, we might start with the example, explain how both species benefit, and then give them the term but it's still really front-loading and it's still not allowing students to make meaning from it. Now instead, in an NGSS classroom, our goal is for students to come to the conclusion on their own that these two species interact in a way that both benefit. So how do you do this? Now I'm sure there's many ways you could, so this isn't a, this is the only way that you should teach mutualism kind of thing. Um, but the way I teach this is by providing students a bunch of examples of organism interactions. Now, my examples are super straightforward, no interpretation. The lion and zebra both live in the savanna. The lion hunts and kills the zebra. Or bees fly from flower to flower collecting nectar. As they're collecting nectar, pollen gets stuck to their bodies. The pollen is carried to the next flower by the bee, and this transfer of pollen is how plants reproduce. Now, I'm sure it could get more technical there, but you get the meaning. I'm very careful not to say who benefits or who is harmed. I simply state what could be observed. Now... These cards are also available in the Science Teacher Tribe Resource Library. So if you are interested in this activity, you can find it under Interactions and Ecosystems Card Sort. Okay, anyway, then I asked the students to examine all of the interactions that they were given and then to identify patterns there. So that's, hello, cross-cutting concept. They then group those examples by the patterns they observe and voila, now they've developed an understanding of the concept of mutualism and predation and commensalism and parasitism and competition and so on. They don't have the vocabulary to describe these interactions scientifically, but they can basically give me the definition or the meaning of the term um, even without the science language. Now at this point, when students can communicate the meaning without the terminology, I provide the terminology. I do this first during the initial discussion, applying my label to their explanation or their description. But then we review through those more traditional approaches. So the text, the putting vocabulary terms in their own words, generating examples, doing fair models, making posters, creating flaps on a notebook, lecture, video, whatever your heart desires. The important thing, though, is that students already discovered the concept before any of the terms were given. Okay, so strategies. So strategies for all students. Um, I'm not going to dive into 
any additional strategies on helping your students understand the meaning because I really believe that's well addressed in the NGSS or science class workshops on the explore phase, which is module eight specifically. And in module nine, we cover how to introduce the actual term during the meaning making process as well, which is the explain phase. But beyond the exploration, now what can you do to help your students really take the word and truly absorb it into their own vocabulary? What are some strategies that actually work? First, context. I recommend doing everything in context. Nobody understands anything out of context. We all have that friend that like randomly says something based on something going on in their head. Sometimes it's me. Um, and nobody knows what they're talking about. So yeah, don't be that person in the science class. Don't pull the term out of the context. So that's my first tip. Second, some actual strategies. Now, before we dive into those, I'm going to admit, none of these are groundbreaking. A lot of these things you typically have done in the past, and they're going to help your students cement this new vocabulary, assuming, again, you always keep it in context, and you did the concept discovery part first. Um, and additionally, these are strategies that have been recommended both for primary English speakers and English language learners. So as I was doing some research and supporting ELLs for this workshop, all of the recommendations I came across, with like the exception of maybe a couple, um, which I'll still mention, really seem like good, ba like basically just good practice. These are the same strategies I would recommend for your struggling learners or your disengaged students or your at-risk populations and so on. So if you're interested in learning more about supporting English language learners, I would recommend Science for English Language Learners K-12 Classroom Strategies by Anne Fathom and David Crowthers. It's um, an NSTA press book that I really pulled heavily from when I was looking for some real research-based vocabulary instruction strategies. So I was really thrilled to see how well it aligns with the discovery-centered constructivist science approach as well. Um, but anyway, here's just a few ideas on some strategies for all of your students. All right, so multiple modalities. Just as we typically teach concepts by engaging students in activities that use multiple modalities, we should be doing the same with vocabulary. So that means that students should be seeing the terms in context in science texts, whether it's news articles, peer writing samples, or the textbook itself. They should also be hearing the term in videos during direct instruction from the teacher. Yes, that happens in small quantities and even in NGSS classroom. Remember, explain part two. Um, and then during discussion with peers. So they should also be using the terms during discussion. So speaking with their classmates in small groups or to the class as a whole, as well as writing with the terms, again, in context, not just a bunch of vocabulary definitions. Um, in short responses or summaries or even on annotated drawings is a great strategy for your ELL students. Students should be really using scientific vocabulary and experiencing scientific vocabulary in different media um, and sometimes even at the same time. So pairing a verbal experience with a nonverbal, like a video or picture or demo or hands-on activity, can also really reinforce the meaning for all students and make it more comprehensible for your English language learners. So honestly, I mean, really nonverbal cues can help all learners. Um, so that's something to just try with any of your classes. Sentence starters can be another great tool. So these prompts or sentence starters can really reinforce thinking patterns, speaking patterns, and writing patterns that we use in science. Okay, so there's patterns of communication that are common in the science classroom. If you think about it, just like how often do we ask students to describe something or cite their information or make a prediction or identify cause and effect or draw a conclusion and so on. 
We can provide students with sentence starters for all of these ways of thinking and communicating until they become more second nature to them. And this can support the use of appropriate scientific terminology because it just takes some of the load off. Students can shift their focus to the content and using the appropriate terminology and worry less about like how do I say it or you know how do I get started with that term. Um, so some examples would be for description you might say the blank has blank and blank. So they would just go fill in the blanks. The ball has curves and bumps. I don't know. Um, you can cite information. So the text showed that and then they move forward from there. Making predictions. I think blank will blank. Um, cause and effect. They, the blank had this. So this is what happened. And then drawing conclusions. The blank is whatever because I said so. Um, I know it sounds simple, but giving them these sentence, these stems or these sentence starters can, again, just alleviate some, uh, one, one additional step in trying to figure out how to communicate. And they can, can bring to light more of that vocabulary that, that they're trying to work with. Now that said, when sentence starters aren't enough to help students to actually use the science vocabulary, you can bring in revisions. Okay, so I have my students do a lot of their meaning making in their notebooks. Uh, for example, they might draw a model of what they think is happening. Or they might record their groupings and the meaning behind it, like with my mutualism example. They might list out their groups and describe like one species eats the other. So then after discussing these ideas, I have students return to their initial notes and then record the accurate terminology beside the more like conversational explanation. Now along those lines, I will often ask students to develop an explanation of something um, after the explore phase and before we dive too much into explain. I just find that having students express their ideas in writing before a discussion makes the discussion more meaningful. Um, so this could be where those sentence starters might be used. But like with the notebook work, I am often ask my students to go back into their writing and identify the appropriate scientific term that aligns with whatever concept they were describing. So if they were talking about condensation, they might go back into their writing and revise a sentence to use the word condense, or they might add water vapor to their explanation. These revisions help students literally see they are simply adding the vocabulary to what they already like know, what they already learned, the concept. And really, students don't need to do this alone. Um, working with partners or in small groups on these tasks can really help English language learners complete these tasks. Uh, for one, partner work requires students to speak about the text and the topics, so it's adding that additional layer. Um, and then additionally, partner work can just offer a support or a scaffold for the task itself for students who are struggling. On the other hand, the teacher could also be involved in revisions. So whether it's revisions to statements made during a discussion or to like written work, oftentimes we, we have a tendency to restate what our students mean to say. And I'm not saying this itself is a horrible practice because sometimes it does model a better way to say something. But sometimes we could help our students say it themselves just by asking a few questions that elicit more information. Like, could you explain that again? Or what did you find out? Or could we use scientific language there? So teachers are they are stretching their students, yes. But like, honestly, we have to start holding all of our students, including our English language learners, to higher expectations if we want to see that higher quality of work, if all we ever expect from them is 
basic level English and not adopting that academic vocabulary, they're not going to adopt that academic vocabulary. Your students can rise to the occasion and take responsibility for making themselves understood um, when they have a teacher who's willing to like give them the time and um, I don't know, show them the interest, you know, to allow them to do it. Um, and then lastly, transferring or like new contexts. So transferring whether it's like of concepts or a vocabulary to new concepts, contexts, is a way to both gauge understanding and then also to reinforce it. So providing new examples of the same concept might be a way to do this with vocabulary. Maybe you provide um, some more examples of interactions and ecosystems or new examples of physical properties. Students are then broadening their understanding of both the meaning and they are practicing the term. Now along those lines, exploring the concepts in new conditions and then using the appropriate terminology to discuss it could likewise reinforce understanding and get students comfortable with using that term. For example, students could learn, students who are learning condensation on a Coke can, now they can go discuss how it happens in the clouds, and then maybe lastly they'll discuss it happening at ground level to form fog. It's all the same process, all the same concept, but it's in different contexts or different situations, and students are, are talking about the similarities and the differences and just how it's happening in all these different environments. Now, for any transfer or like new context activities, it's really important to push students to use the new terminology. So don't let them get away with those initial conversational ways of talking about the concept. Encourage them to use the correct term. So again, with the questioning, can you use the correct term? And, you know, if they can't, you could have students, other students support it. Like what term might you use to describe what um, Jose has said? Or you could clarify uh, their responses yourself by modeling how to add the terms into their explanation. So you could restate what they said, but simply switch, switch the term. Instead of water in the air, maybe you say water vapor or something like that. All right, so I mean, that's all I have. I really hope this workshop has given you some ideas to support vocabulary acquisition in your own NGSS classrooms. It's definitely possible to build a scientific vocabulary without abandoning the discovery-centered and constructivist approaches that are really central to the NGSS. So I think it's important that we recognize that vocabulary instruction does not need to, to mean abandoning those approaches. It doesn't mean that you have to adopt some sort of direct instruction when you are going to teach vocabulary. You can very, very much teach it in that same style that you are teaching all of your concepts in your NGSS classroom. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do want to make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out, and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner to grab yours. That's sadlerscience.com slash 3dplanner.